Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep. On today's episode, we're bridging the gap with MDV between our Effort Weekly and a Q&A episode. I put out something on social media. Hey, what kind of questions do you guys have? And we dove into a variety of them today. We discussed as a coach, as an owner, programming at NC Fit. Uh, compared to dot com, pros, cons, differences. We then dive into jiu-jitsu, accessory work. What should people be doing if they want to improve their jiu-jitsu off the mat? So cool conversation there. We discuss this idea of macros or, or diet and what we've done in the past and what we recommend. We then lean into old school CrossFit, competing, what it was like back in the day competing, and if I would be interested in competing as an individual or on a team again today. MDV and I had a lot of fun with this one. We will be putting out more Q&A style episodes. We're definitely, definitely, definitely interested in hearing from you. So make sure you follow my Instagram at Jason Klepa, where I will put up the Q&A token, and then you can go ahead and you know list what you want to talk about. Before we dive into the episode, just want to remind you, if you're a gym owner out there and you have not checked out the NC Fit Collective, make sure you do so. It is the world's best session plans, programming, and business tools that we use in our gyms every single day. I hope you and your families are doing incredibly well. Let's dive into a great episode with MDV. Answer your questions. Let's go. All right, so a couple of days ago, I put on my Instagram, um, just this q and I wanted to just hear from you guys and see what type of questions you might have. And one of the questions that came in, I thought was interesting, it comes in from Swag Banana. And swag is, banana. <laughs> swag banana. There's something at the end, but we'll, we'll just keep it a swag banana. How and what the coach's owner can do uh, to educate the members. So the question is, how and what can we do uh, for the coaches and owner to educate the members? And what they're seeing is that they see very little aspects of CrossFit due to lack of participation because they only come in one to two times a week. So they probably learn only one component for that week. Some mm. members aren't really satisfied with the programming that comes from HQ. So gotcha. how do you read into that MDV? Cause it was kind of a, yeah, there's a lot of a lot going on there, but I think it's maybe t- two main questions. Number one is you have, if you have members who are participating less than two times a week, one or two times a week, how do you educate them or get them some traction in the program so that they can learn things, feel like they're having wins and success and not forgetting everything, every single time that they're coming in. That's a completely valid question. Definitely want to spend some time answering that. And then the other aspect of the question seems to be, well, I also have some members who might not be as stoked on, it looks like he's following CrossFit HQ or, or .com programming. How do you handle that? And I think that those are two distinct questions. So, well, let, let, I'm going to start actually with the second part of the question is, um, our members aren't stoked on the HQ programming, the .com programming. This is the deal. .com programming, at least what shows up on CrossFit.com as the workout of the day, historically is not and has not been designed to be run in an affiliate for business, uh, for profit business type of setting. That workout was designed to be the example of what the CrossFit charter was. Constantly varied functional movements at a high intensity, three days on with one day off and exploring the core charter of CrossFit. Now, you probably, if you wanted to run a successful business around that, you could, but you'd have to educate your members that, hey, we're doing these things in line with this charter to be very, very true to the original doctrine of what CrossFit was laid out to be. And we're going to follow along what HQ does on .com, including having the rest days in there and all that kind of stuff. And we're not going to make any adjustments to any of the movements and any of the workouts. So you're going to see things in there that will come up that are a little bit outside of the norm, quote unquote, of what might show up within a normal functional training type of class. There are things that show up on .com that just sometimes don't work, in my opinion, for the for-profit group fitness, single hour, 60 minute class environment with a wide variety of athletes in front of you. It's not designed to do that. And I think that that's one of the things that at NC fit, we do really, really well is as we're crafting our programs, 
we have the gym owner and the athlete in mind when we're crafting these workouts. These aren't meant to be done in a vacuum by one person with an ideal set of equipment in front of them in their garage or an empty space where they have nothing else to worry about. We are thinking about the owner, the coaches, the athletes, and the experience start to finish. All of those things, the equipment, the safety of the athletes, the variety of movements, the movements that we choose based on complexity, what works well in a group class environment, what doesn't. I'm not saying they don't think about those things on .com, but that's not the, the charter of that program. The charter of that program on .com is to literally be constantly varied functional movements, high intensity, three on, one off, the core CrossFit charter. That might not translate exactly one for one to a for-profit business where members are coming in and want to get their great, great, greatest workout, excuse me, for the day, every single day. You just have to recognize that there's nothing wrong with the program. It is what it is, but to run it in a for-profit business where you're expecting it to be crafted for your gym and for your community, not the case. Yeah. I mean, when we open, so I opened CrossFit Santa Clara in 2008 and for, I'd say a solid, solid year and a half, at least we followed at the time.com, uh, religiously, right? Every single day. But over time, it became very difficult. And it became difficult for, for two main reasons. One was equipment uh, constraints, right? So if you're doing something like GHD sit-ups and you only have one GHD, it becomes very challenging. Now, if you're an individual in their garage, dude, go for it. But when you're trying to have 15, 20 people in a class, it becomes almost impossible. And the other thing that made it challenging was just the desired stimulus that members had. And so you know, more people more often wanted to leave and be sweaty. They felt like that was a part of the experience coming to the gym, that they want to get their heart rate elevated. They wanted to sweat a little bit before they went home. Otherwise, they didn't feel like they got in as great of a workout. That's just, you can make arguments both way, that you don't have to sweat. You don't have to get your heart rate up to get a great workout. I get it. But the reality is, is that our members wanted that. And they wanted to feel that level of satisfaction when you leave the gym and you did your hurry up and you did sweat. So on days that a five by one back squat came up, no matter how good of a coach I tried to be in terms of a phenomenal warm up, this and that, it still felt like when the members left, they were craving more. And so we pivoted years ago to create our own program. And um, because of those two reasons, primarily equipment restraints and uh, just this idea that we were trying to bridge the gap between what the members wanted and what they needed. Whereas I think .com does a phenomenal job of providing what people need, um, but it has to also blend with what people want to run a successful long-term business. That was just our experience. So for this person um, that says, you know, that members aren't really satisfied, I would say, is it some of your members or the sum of your members is something I would ask back. I'd say, hey, if your members in general are happy, keep doing what you're doing, keep rocking it. But you don't know unless you put out a member survey potentially, because you might just have a vocal, maybe five, 10 members that are very vocal. Hey, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. But then you might always just be searching for the next program. Instead, what you might want to do is survey the members, get a good glimpse of overall what your membership is looking for, identify the best programming option, and then stick with it for a while. Because if you just keep jumping, then your coaches, your team, your environment can't be aligned on something moving forward. I also think you have to those are all great points. And I agree with you hundred percent. I also think that as the owner, it's your responsibility to figure out what you stand for as a fitness organization and then to educate your members on that. And if you want to be a really classic three on one off, we're going to do single modality days. Hey, there's going to be some days in there where it's 21, 15, nine dumbbell thrusters and 400 meter run, which was the first workout ever programmed on CrossFit.com or you know, hey, uh, some days it's going to be a 5K run, which is actually the most popular workout that's ever been programmed on CrossFit.com is a 5K run. That education has to happen to your members. And if you're doing that, and if you're okay with that, then at least the members understand the why. Hey, maybe there's some people that's not going to be their flavor. They're going to go some, somewhere else, but you'll be okay with it. You'll be fired up with it. And maybe you'll attract people who want that. For us at NC Fit. Yeah, we recognize that there was a different desire from a lot of our members. I don't necessarily think that like a member pulls up the workout that they're going to do for the day and it's a 5K run and they're going to get stoked on that to come to the gym to run a 5K. 
Once in a blue moon? Yeah, maybe, especially if you're educating your members and you're making an event out of it and you're there at different points of the run and you're giving them time, time splits and you're you know creating races within them and it's a really fun event. But that's not necessarily what, at least in my experience, I've seen members get really pumped up about. Members want to have a full class experience. They want to do something where they feel accomplished after they left. Not saying you can't feel accomplished after a 5K. You certainly can. But you can also open up your fucking garage door and go run a 5K whenever you want. What are you paying your gym membership for? Right? Yeah. So that's, I guess, my angle on it. Yeah. And I think ultimately what it comes down to is each owner, each coach needs to make their own decision on what's going to be best for the community. But try and listen to the overall community and your gut reaction. Like my gut told me for a while, like, man, you know, our, maybe our retention wasn't as good. Maybe our average participation rate wasn't that good. Well, looking at those numbers objectively, you say, hey, what are the reasons for this? Or maybe your business, I mean, here's a good one, MDV. Like if your business is stuck at, let's just say, for example, 100 members, well, have you attracted the demographic in that area that is interested in that? And for you to go ahead and expand past that goal, assuming that's your goal. If it's not your goal, that's fine. Maybe you need to pivot what you're doing, which is, which is one thing I, I wanted to bring up. Uh, so swag, uh, says, so when they come in one or two times a week, which when we were doing analysis back in the day, we recognized that most people on average, we, we fell into three buckets. We had people that came in like five, six days a week. We had people that came in three, three, four, and we had people that came in like one or two. Those were like the three buckets. And most people lived in kind of like this middle range of three to four. And so what was happening is you'd have members who come in and let's just say for the sake argument, you did like more traditional GPP. Well, in a traditional GPP program, you're going to go heavy, you're going to go light, you're going to go long, you're going to go short, you're going to do more complex days. But what if they only snatch? So let's just say you snatch once a week. And let's just say on average, they come in two to three days a week. But they're really only snatching once every, I don't know, three weeks because they don't have exposure to it. That was one of the things that we noticed. That's why we created the NCX program as a as a way to get more exposure, more often to similar movements so that our athletes can kind of develop more competency there. And it's not right or wrong. It's just for someone who's not coming in as consistently, it's difficult to get good at these movements because there's so many to do. So we reduced it down, right? Yeah. If you're trying to learn almost anything and you're not giving yourself the proper amount of exposure to it, let's say, for example, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Great. You're only going to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu one time a week over the course of however many weeks. It's going to be very difficult to learn and remember the patterns and the movements and all the different feelings. Same thing for somebody who's coming into a new fitness environment. If they're only experiencing it one time a week, you can't really expect to have proficiency right away. Obviously, there's different people. There's natural learners. There are people who are going to be gifted in this you know, uh, very quickly versus others who are going to take longer time. But if you're only getting small doses of exposure you have to set your expectation around how long it's going to take you to really understand different movements, especially the more complex things that take a lot of practice, that take repetition, that take learning over the course of different progressions and different uh, types of variations of the movement. You know, so some of this comes down to education. Again, when, when you're introducing new members into the program, if they are telling you, I'm only going to be able to come once or twice a week, but I really want to do this. I think it's the responsibility of the owner to help set the expectation for that person that, hey, when you come in only once or twice a week, that's fine. You can still realize some benefits from the program, but you're not going to realize all of the benefits from the program, including probably not getting all of the fitness gains that you might get if you were coming in four times a week and being a little bit more consistent. But especially so, you're probably not going to pick up the movements as quickly. It's going to take you a little bit longer as you come on back in. You're going to have to make adjustments for things. You're going to have to probably change some of the movements, change some of the workouts. And if you're cool with that, I'm cool with that too. But just let's have that understanding that when you come back in, you might not grasp everything right away. And I also think the expectation needs to be placed on the coaches or the responsibility on the coaches that if you do have people like this who are coming in sporadically like that, that you can't just throw the snatch out there and expect them that they're going to be able to do it that day. You might have to drill that movement down or change the equipment, go with a dumbbell snatch, go with a kettlebell swing, go with a plate ground overhead, go with things that are easier to pick up and understand that aren't necessarily as technical, that have the same overall movement pattern, but aren't as intricate or uh, quote unquote, maybe I don't want to say risky, but don't have as much kind of weight on the line with 
what's going to happen if this person puts this barbell with weight over their head and they don't know what they're doing, right? If you have a light plate and you go up and over your head with it, probably not that bad stuff is going to happen, even if you have no idea what you're doing. But even if you put a barbell in somebody's hand, they don't know how to handle it in that wide grip, or now you start to add load or speed to the equation, things can get hairy pretty quickly. So I think that for me, three or four times, times a week is a good amount of exposure to feel really good about what you're learning. You're still going to take some time, but at least you're going to start to recognize things. You can say, oh, that, that's a squat. This is a lunge. That's what a thruster is. This is what a clean is. That's what a snatch is. And you're still going to have to educate and remind people. But once or twice a week, man, that, that's going to be really hard. As long as the members are okay with it and you set the expectation, as long as the coaches are guiding them in the right way, I don't think there's anything quote unquote wrong with it, but the members just have to know it's going to take longer. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm coming from that experience with jujitsu, right? I mean, jujitsu is a, a phenomenal example, which we've talked about many times, but when it comes to jujitsu, if you're only going in once a week, it's just going to take you a lot longer. And I think if you're a coach, if you're an owner, yeah, obviously having that conversation with your membership base is incredible. And if you're an athlete, just be aware of it. Like, for example, as an athlete going to jujitsu gym, if I go in once a week, I'm probably going to take longer to develop a level of competency than if I went in three, four days a week. And maybe that's okay with me. Um, but that's each for each person to, to make their own decision. One of the uh, questions from cruising uh, was all the movements or accessory work that translates to BJJ. So, you know, I'm a big believer. I've been working with a, a gentleman here uh, in the Bay area. His name's uh, Mason Fowler and he qualified for ADCCs. I've been working with him a little bit and I'm watching his movement. He, he's, he's one of the top jiu-jitsu guys in the world right now, without a doubt. And I'm seeing a lot of areas of improvement for him that I didn't necessarily expect. So I'll give you an example. When we do things that are more cardio-focused, light, light, light load, or maybe just mainly cardio, like bike, row, whatever, he does really well. He does. But as soon as I, I take the weight from like, let's just say it was really light at like 10 pounds, 20 pounds. As soon as you take that weight to 50, 75, or 95 pounds, which is still moderate, the, the, the muscle stamina reduces very quickly because I think that he hasn't been exposed to a moderate or heavy load as much as he has lighter load or no load and more cardio. Because jujitsu, as you know, is a lot of cardiovascular and obviously technique, but there is a strength element to it. But I think that for me, what I would recommend for any jiu-jitsu practitioner in particular is a need to start getting an external element object in their hands of some type, and they need to start working through a range of motion with it. And in particular, it should be something moderate to heavy and not super light because you're already getting that exposure on the mat so, so much. Yeah, I, I kind of agree there. I think, you know, um, I, I don't know Mason really well, but Mason obviously is a very talented jiu-jitsu player. ADCC is the Abu Dhabi Combat Championships, I believe. That's what that stands for. That's the apparent, like the, the world series of no gi grappling or jujitsu, right? That's like the, the biggest event of the entire sport. Here's the deal as an athlete, you have to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are just generally. But let's talk about somebody who's been doing jujitsu for a long time, like Mason, who's got really great stamina on the mats, who's obviously got great physical strength when it comes to manipulating a human being. His grips are probably really, really strong. He probably feels strong as fuck when you're rolling with him, right? He probably yeah, he does. feel, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's obvious. But that's all stuff that probably has been gained through his athletic career leading up to that. And then a lot of it's been trained through repetition over and over and over and over again through hours of hand-to-hand -hand combat, right? So his engine is probably really fantastic, right? He can probably go three, five, seven, 10 plus 15 minutes rolling jujitsu and not really gas out ever. He's probably very, very efficient, knows how to utilize his body, knows how to push, knows how to pull back, all that kind of good stuff. He also probably feels very strong when you're rolling with him because the positions and the grips and things that he's used to on the mat, he trains them all the time. So when he's on your back, it probably feels like suffocating type of pressure with his arm coming across your neck. If he's on top of you, it probably feels like suffocating pressure. He knows how to use his body and his weight. Now, we all know that might not translate necessarily to how you're moving an external load like a kettlebell or a barbell or any sort of weight that you can overload in order to generate a stimulus 
to get you stronger physically, to build your base, to build your musculature. Those things don't necessarily always translate over. It's not shocking to me that he has really great cardio on the bike and on the rower and with super lightweights, because that's kind of like rolling jujitsu. That's kind of like grappling. That's the car same kind of cardio stimulus. It also isn't shocking to me that his grips are probably pretty good, pretty strong, but then he probably gasses out when we start to add a little bit more load to the equation. He doesn't mix them as well, you know, based on having a heavier barbell involved now, and then maybe doing some rowing and then going back and forth between the two. That's, that's a much more difficult and different challenge. I like Mark Bell's saying about this, you know, strength is never going to be a weakness, right? So if you are a jujitsu player, and let's say you have great cardio and you have good strength on the mat already, I don't think it's going to hurt you to get stronger, to develop your muscular endurance, to maybe shore up some holes that you have in, on your body and maybe your legs aren't as strong as they could be, or maybe your upper body isn't as strong as it could be. As long as you're not sacrificing the things that also make you really great at jujitsu, like maybe your flexibility or maybe your coordination, or you're getting too bulky, or, you know, you're now you're at a point where you can't lift your arms over your head because you're just like a muscled up juice head. All those types of things are important to recognize. But if you took Mason and you just put him there and stood in front of you and you're like, great grappler, awesome physical strength with another human being in his hands. If we could make him stronger, would that benefit him? 100% yes, it would. As long as you're not sacrificing any of what makes him great already, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so like for me, a couple of things I've noticed, right, is you get a hang clean. And at first, so by the way, the, the, the question in particular asks, what movements, accessory work uh, translate to jiu-jitsu? I'm not necessarily, I, I, I have a different viewpoint on this than maybe I did in the beginning. Uh, originally, I was thinking, oh, you know, start using like a, a gi and do like kettlebell swings with the gi or um, start doing something external object related using like a jujitsu position, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe like a Turkish getup, for example. I think there's some translation there, but I don't think it has to be so rigid and specific to the work that you're doing on the mat. Cause you're already yeah, doing all that work either. on the mat, right? Yeah. So, so I, again, I have a different viewpoint on this. Maybe in the beginning, I was thinking a little bit more down that lane. Now I'm thinking, Hey, get off the mat and do functional training. That's just like traditional strength and conditioning. Like, don't worry about trying to make it fancy and directly correlate because the way it's going to correlate is just by developing your athleticism and strength. And so in particular, I've seen huge improvement in the hang clean. I think the hang clean and the tempo back squat or tempo front squat would be two things that I would really, really uh, focus on. If I was a jujitsu practitioner, I'd, I'd start by learning how to utilize your hips better by you doing hang cleans um, from the hang instead of the floor in the beginning, just because it kind of reduces the margin of error. And then I would start incorporating some type of moderate to heavy load, moderate to heavy uh, at least once a week on some type of squat and loading that spine. I think those two is a great place to start in addition to, um, cause you're already getting all the cardio. So I think developing pulling strength, developing pushing strength, looking at all those different things, it's all great. But I think those two in particular are like at the tip of the spear for me. Yeah. Like I started off the, the talk with on this question is you have to have an awareness of yourself as an athlete. And if, if you're an athlete who in jujitsu is suffering on the mats because you don't have the cardio to withstand multiple roles in a row, you probably have to do some work, either getting more roles in on the mat and de developing your endurance that way, or getting some rounds in on the bike or the rower on the road, or like, you know, doing some stuff that's going to develop your aerobic capacity a little bit more. If you're somebody who is gassing out, like your grips are just gassing out or your legs are gassing out, you probably have to think about how can I develop a little bit more grip strength or muscular endurance in my lower body. But I think what you said there you know, with getting some explosiveness out of the hips, it's really important in jujitsu at certain times to be explosive, right? You're going to have some moments when you're going to chill, but then all of a sudden you want to recruit the power of those big muscles and posterior chain. You got to know how to do it. The other thing is like, Hey, if you're going to, um, have people on you, like you're going to have literally somebody on you, you want to know what that feels like, or you want your body to have that, uh, recognition that you can handle load on your body, that it doesn't feel so foreign. If somebody's on your back or on your belly that you can, you have accustomed, you've been accustomed to that feeling. So I think that a lot of strength movements can translate really well. Yeah. The top ones for me would be developing strength in the squats and the lunges, 
developing your lower body because that's going to add to your explosiveness. It's going to add to your leg endurance. It's also going to just add to your general power. And like you said, placing a load on your body is really important for a number of reasons. And then also things that are going to develop your grips and your upper body and the things that add to your squeezes and your holds, which make it much more difficult for somebody to escape your grasp or make you much more of a threat to finish things. If you've got ridiculous squeeze, if you've got ridiculous grip strength, if once you get the arm across the neck, that thing's not coming, coming off because your forearms are just so strong or your grip is so strong, your crank is so strong. Those all do really well. I'll give a real life example just to kind of close this one out is uh, one of the workouts I really enjoyed doing with Mason was a three station rotation and we didn't do it for time. So this is like moderate effort for maybe about 10 minutes, which was um, farmers carry with a set of 72 pound uh, or 75 pound dumbbells, right? Just farmer carry maybe 20 feet out and back, right? After you do that, kind of shake it out. From there, you take a hundred pound sandbag, you lap it and throw it over your shoulder. Okay, so you just kind of do that for less, uh, I think we were doing, you know, I don't know, 10 reps or whatever it was. And then after that, we did a sandbag hold at 150 pounds with a gable grip, and we held it for 30 seconds. So we started a clock, we did it down and back, we then did the 10 over the shoulder, we then held and we looked at the clock, and we just rotated through that together for 10 minutes. And it was a really nice way of, like you said, developing that grip strength in a more practical way, and then also incorporating movements that we would see a translation from. So if someone's looking for an idea, yes, think about those compound movements like the back squat, like even the bench press, those are great translations to the on the mat. But you can also start working the sandbag, which I think is a great tool. And farmer's carry, where you hold dumbbells at your sides, I think translate really well because they make you have to fight. You know, you're walking, you're, you feel your hands start to open. You're like, oh no. And you got to pull it back. Very similar reaction to what you have when you're trying to hold on to somebody. So th that example. Yeah. Well, and you know, just to wrap up this part of the conversation, what's really interesting is that I was listening to something recently about grip strength and it being one of the things that is a really strong predictor of oh, yeah. whether or not all core, all cause morbidity as you get older, one of the biggest things that causes very serious injuries or death, uh, God forbid it are falls. And then if you are training these things like deadlifts, like squats, like lunges, like all these things that shore up your body and make you more resilient, increase your bone density, get you to be able to get an object from the ground to your waist, get you to move below parallel, put load on the body, get you to be able to stand up from a kneeling position under weight. That's awesome. That's great stuff. But then the grip strength, what they were saying is like, if you're able to grip and hold onto things, if you're able, as you're falling to grab something, you don't have that event. And then combine that with the increases in bone density and muscle mass that you have from lifting weights, you're a much more resilient human being as you get older. So great stuff for life, not just for jujitsu in general as well. Uh, obviously we preach strength training a lot, but it was interesting right before I got on the call with you, I was on the phone with a good friend of mine who just recovered from um, pancreatic cancer and he had stage four. It was, it was, it was aggressive. And as part of one of his, um, treatment protocols, he had to take this medicine. And this medicine, I guess, had detrimental effects on your bone density. I guess it makes it really brittle, just weak and whatnot. So what they did is they did a bone scan before and then after. And according to what he said is that because of his strength training, in particular in the spine and the hips, they saw that in his imaging, he's 50 years old. He looked as if he was like a 30-year-old before the, the treatment. After the treatment, right, he's still way, he's like now at average in those areas, even after the treatment. And so it's a really cool testament to loading the spine and the hips in these, in these big muscle, um, big bone groups uh, that translated really well for him and his uh, uh, treatment protocol. So I thought that was interesting. Um, hey, look, this is a good one from Chad. Maybe we could, you know, this is the third one. Maybe we'll uh, Chad saying, what's the optimum amount of time training per day for growth? Uh, I think you could take the growth a few different directions. What do you think? Uh, I mean, you could nerd out on this question <laughs> in so many different ways. You know, I think people are going to have different opinions on this. This is highly dependent on an athlete's goals. Uh, what does growth mean to you? What are you trying to accomplish? Um, you know, in terms of just physical activity daily, 
gosh, I would love if everybody added 30 minutes of physical activity daily. And I, I actually don't even really think that that's a lot. I know that sound, it might sound like a lot to everybody out there who's listening to me like, I don't have time to work out right. for 30 minutes every day. Well, maybe you're just not making time right now to work out for 30 minutes every day, or you have this idea in your head that 30 minutes has to be the most intense 30 minutes of your life every single day. It doesn't necessarily need to be that. I think 30 minutes of moving your body. Yes. A few times a week, you should be testing yourself and going a little harder, getting a little bit more of an anaerobic workout in there, getting your aerobic conditioning in there is really important as well. Doing some low intensity stuff is really important as well. Um, gosh, I wish I knew a little bit more what Chad meant by growth. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would say for, um, if I was just telling somebody what they should do weekly, uh, I would say try to at least move for 30 minutes every day. Uh, and then some of those days, if they are non quote unquote, traditional workout days, just go for a walk for 30 minutes or, you know, do some stretching and then go for a walk or ride the bike nice and light. But I would say strength training three times a week, and then also trying to go a little bit or testing your aerobic system three times a week as well would be what I would recommend for somebody who has about, you know, an hour or so every day uh, to get after it, knowing that two out of those uh, days are also going to be a little lighter, less intensity, maybe active recovery. Yeah. I mean, look, it, I don't know what Chad meant by growth, but one of the things I was talking about on Matt Chan, who was on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, is this idea that back in the day, you know, when I first got into CrossFit, it was one workout a day. And then all of a sudden the, the, the CrossFit games, the sport really escalated. And so we thought more was better. And my training volume went from one a day to like the idea of a double day was like blasphemy. It was like, what? And then all of a sudden double days just became norm. And then it was triple. And then now it's like, I mean, five, six hours a day of training. And so how much time do you need for growth? Originally, I would have said, um, you know, a lot more if I was competing at the CrossFit Games. But if you're not trying to compete at the CrossFit Games, you could probably get away with, like you were saying, an hour a day keeps the doctor away, right? You could go in there. I, I just made, I just, <laughs> but That's good. yeah, that was good. Get in some aerobic conditioning, get in some strength and uh, strength side. And I think from a growth perspective, you have to evaluate your own training. And so no matter how you look at this question, growth. Okay. If you're talking about muscle growth, are you achieving that goal? Well, you need to look at your nutrition. You need to look at how often you're stimulating it with an external object. Typically, if you're looking for actual size gains, you probably need to add in some type of external object. Your body weight probably won't cut it long-term. So get in those kettlebells, get in those barbells. If you're looking for physical growth, also then look at nutrition perspective. Are you eating the calories you need and the types of foods you need to support mus muscle growth? Or are you stifling that growth because you're not providing enough nutrients to grow it or not getting enough rest to grow? So if you're thinking about muscle growth, it's how are you sleeping? How are you drinking hydration? And then what are you eating to allow you to get that growth? And if you're not moving in the direction you're looking for, Chad, or whoever's listening, then do a deep evaluation. Say, hey, what are my goals? Are these other factors in my life in alignment with that goal? And then make a change. Um, like for me, I'm not trying to necessarily get bigger. I don't really want to grow my muscle size. And so I'm not really bulking per se. But if I did want to, I'd probably be switching up. I'm sure you've done. Have you ever done different bulking programs in the past? Yeah, I, I definitely have gone through periods where I've uh, increased my caloric intake in order to gain muscle. And you do gain some fat along with that if you're in a quote unquote bulk period. I think the thing that you know gets confused for people is that you do have to eat in a caloric excess to grow, to get bigger, to add more muscle to your body. You're also going to add some more fat in there depending on what the composition of the calories is and how much more you're eating over your quote unquote maintenance and how much strength training you're doing. Um, but it's impossible to grow while in a deficit. You might appear like you're growing while you're in a deficit because you're shredding fat and maybe your muscles are starting to look a little bit more pronounced and maybe you're losing very incremental amounts of muscle while you're losing larger amounts of fat, but you don't grow while eating in a deficit. Hmm. Yeah. I think I've never gone through those experiences, right? I mean, I've, I've always been trying to reduce down 
and never really tried to grow. Um, I did, I did uh, have some guys at the gym many, many times uh, do like the GoMad squat program, which was highly effective, which was a gallon of milk a day and, and back squatting twice a week. Um, but a lot of people couldn't handle the, the amount of milk on a reoccurring basis. So maybe they need to cut that down to half a gallon. Well, if you just look at, if you compare pictures of yourself from when you were at your peak physical shape of CrossFit games, like if you go to the 2009 or 2010 games and you look at Jason there, and then you look at yourself today, you're different human beings. You're both, you're very muscular in both, but in 2009, 2010, you were enormous. And I'm sure that you were eating much more to support the type of exercise that you were doing. And you were probably eating over what you needed, but you were doing so much strength training that it translated into large amounts of muscle. You look at yourself now, you eat probably a more, um, I don't want to say restricted diet, but you eat a more conservative amount of food. You're still doing high amounts of strength training, but you don't have the same muscle mass that you had back in 2009, 2010. You probably were in some bulking stages when you were training for yeah, the game. Yeah, it's actually, that's, that's a fair point. Um, but you know, and then if you're talking about growth, from a non-physical perspective, non-strength building perspective, then you're talking like more like theoretical, like, Hey, am I growing as an athlete? Am I growing as an individual? Which I don't think this question was pointed that way, but it is something that I think about a lot. I, I ask myself on a regular basis, like, Hey, how am I doing in the different areas of my life? Right. As a family man, as a, as a businessman and as an athlete, and I want to see growth in all those areas, just like you and everybody else does. But with the athletic side, I might not see growth in like my numbers. I might not hit a clean and jerk PR and I'm okay with that, but maybe I'm having gains in other areas like learning new skills or having a better balance in my athleticism or whatnot. So I'm still looking for growth, but typically I look for that outside of just strength conditioning because I've been doing that for so long. And I use things like jujitsu as an example to constantly be testing my skills and growing my mindset. However, if you don't have that other outlet, and you're still on your journey of strength conditioning, there's so much to learn. You could pick a new skill and try and develop that. And that growth, man, it feels good. When you get your first muscle up, if that's a goal of yours, boy, it's like winning the lottery for some people. For sure. For sure. You know, the emotional, social, um, I guess, community side of all of this too, um, mental side of it is, is huge and, and shouldn't be um, forgotten that there is a tremendous amount of growth that happens outside of just your physical form in terms of what you think you might be capable of or the different connections that you make or how you associate or live your life going forward. There's a lot of ways that you can grow. I think this question was probably more about physical growth. Right. <laughs> those are equally, if not more important. Oh man. Well, dude, look at that. That was three questions in pretty much an hour. Um, oh, actually oh, not damn. quite an hour, but three questions. Right, let's do a couple, Let's do one or two more. You got one more quick one that we can get in there. Um, um, wait, how seriously should I take my posture while sitting? No, that's just a quick one. You say seriously or what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's call Dr. Kelly Sturette. He'd probably be a better one to answer that one. I use a stand-up desk. I'm using one right now. I use it all the time. It's a game changer for me, um, especially because of my attention span. It allows me to move. So if you guys don't have a stand-up desk, I'd highly recommend it. Um, let me see. Do you do macros or any diet? No, I do not follow any formal macro, any formal diet. I just try and eat, uh, you know, real food and try and create volume of it that allows me to have the physique that I'm looking for. I mean, that's pretty much our charter, right? It's, it's, it's quality and quantity. Yeah. I, I, you know, we can, we can wrap it up on this one if you want. I think that this is a really good discussion. I, um, if it fits your macros or macro counting is something that is out there in the community, obviously it's gained a lot of notoriety. It is pretty much akin to the zone diet in different ways. You're eating certain amounts of macronutrients in order to hit certain numbers to support your goals, whether or not your goal is to lose weight, whether or not your goal is to maintain or whether or not your goal is to grow. So that's the theory behind macros is to give you a little bit more precision and accuracy in your diet. This involves weighing and measuring your food, or at least eyeballing your food in a way that gives you, um, you know, a near estimate of what you're putting into your body. I think the hand eye method and the ways that you can eyeball how much food and the amounts you're eating you can really do that for a long time and be very healthy about it 
and develop good habits to understand, hey, am I overeating? Am I eating too much of X, Y, or Z? Hey, I don't feel really good. I'm gaining a lot of weight, excess weight that I don't like. Maybe I should think about my portions a little bit more. Obviously, that's important. Now, the physical deed of taking food and putting it onto a food scale and understanding exactly how many grams are going into your body, I don't think that that's something that everybody needs to do every single day for the rest of their life. Some people might want to do it. It's their own prerogative. I do think it's an important exercise for people to understand just what certain portions of foods look like or have an understanding of what X number of calories or X number of grams of certain macronutrients ends up looking like on your scale and then on your plate. That's really important. So you begin to recognize like a serving of peanut butter for most people when they start to take it from the spoon to the mouth is three, four, five, six, seven times what an actual serving of peanut butter is. And then if you can't recognize what eight ounces of steak looks like on your plate, putting eight ounces of steak onto a scale and understanding that's what the portion looks like. And that's what I feel like after I eat it is important. Now, I think people can take this a little too far. You get wrapped around the axle. You start worrying about every single gram micronutrient nutrient that goes into your body based on how much you're weighing on the scale. It's not for me long-term. I do know some people can support it long-term, but I like a more relaxed approach in terms of just understanding portion control, quality, quantity based off of just the eyeball method. Yeah. Um, and we have the hands-on nutrition challenge that we've done where it's just, you basically are using your hand as a judgment of some of those portions, right? Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a method that's been out there for a while. We wrapped it up into a package that works for us that has some different parameters around it. But essentially what you're doing is looking at your palm and based on the size of this makes an assumption based on the size of the individual, we're talking about certain portions of foods based on the size of your hand. So if you're a, a bigger male or female and you got bigger hands, you're probably going to have more food to support a bigger body, which needs more calories to just do the daily stuff that that body does. If you're a smaller male or female, you have smaller hands, you have a smaller system to support smaller amounts of food to support that. Now, obviously, if you, like I said before, if you want to lose weight, you have to make some adjustments there. If you want to maintain, maybe be spot, you might be kind of close to the, what the baseline recommendation is. If you want to gain, you might have to add more in, but this is a good starting point for people just to recognize Hey, around X size should be my, my protein portion around X size should be my carbohydrate fruit or vegetables portions around X size should be my fat portions. And that's how you get this looser way of monitoring your quantity of food in terms of your hand eye method. Do you know, do you know off the top of your head, like what, what, what relationship they, they say? Yeah. So if, if we're talking about, um, this being my palm, the way that we identify it is the, this portion of your palm would be your protein size and about the same thickness of that. So, so that was basically like your palm palm without your fingers and the yeah, thickness. Yeah. You could add your thumb in. I mean, you're probably talking <laughs> about an extra ounce or two of protein at that point. Um, but that would be your, your protein size. Okay. The way that we monitor more refined carbohydrates or um, more complex carbohydrates, I should say, like rices, potatoes, and stuff like that, we'd say about a fist's worth if that's something that you're thinking about having on your plate. If you're talking about vegetables, we give you a, a, a good amount of freedom in terms of the vegetables, about your full palm size here. Um, if we're talking about fat, we take about the size of your thumb, which turns out to be a couple of like tablespoons of uh, olive oil, or, you know, maybe a half of an avocado. And that's how we start to think about adding fat back in because the, the mindset is there is that the calories associated with one gram of fat is nine calories per gram. So that's nearly double. It is double what one cal what the calorie count is for one gram of carbohydrates or one gram of protein is less amounts of fat, just qual quantity wise, because of the calorie uh, association being higher, right? Like if you put this much fat down on your plate, right. nine calories per gram is that's a lot of, of calories that are adding in there. And you certainly could, if you wanted to, if you felt good on eating a very high fat, very low carb, moderate or low protein type of diet, you could put together a diet that meets your caloric needs that looks like that. But for most people, what ends up happening 
is they end up eating a, uh, let's say a size of protein like this. Maybe they do the vegetables like this. Maybe they do the carbs. The carbs now end up looking like this, like many fists on the plate, right? And then the fat ends up being too much fat in, in association of all the other food that you're eating. And now you're in this big caloric excess and maybe you're not doing the type of physical work to support that caloric excess. You start gaining weight, right? Yeah, that's, so, inter that's interesting with the hand method. I, I think that that's a really, it's a cool way to look at it, right? There's no perfect answer here. It's just another it's not way a perfect, of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, it's not perfect either. And you have to make adjustments. You have to understand, you know, I, I posted about this the other day. Nutrition is one of those things that I think is confusing for a lot of people. And uh, there's a lot of stuff out there about nutrition that makes it confusing. I think there's a lot of people that take really fundamental views on it. There's a lot of marketing dollars that go into telling you how you should eat or a certain way or certain foods are best for you, or you should not eat certain foods. Ultimately, there's some fundamental truths in nutrition. Quality of food matters. Quantity of food matters. Those two things matter. Quality of food probably matters much more for your health in terms of what are the nutrients and the types of food that you're putting into your body to support a healthful human being over the long term, right? The majority of your foods should be whole and unprocessed foods because those foods have a more sound nutritional profile than other foods that are highly processed or artificial or laden with just chemical sugar and all this nonsense, right? If you're eating a diet that's high in artificial processed foods and that's all you're eating, going to be a tough road to hoe for you in terms of health. And also the amount of calories that you're consuming is probably going to be much more just generally than somebody who's eating a whole and unprocessed diet in the same amounts of food based on weight, because the artificial foods, the highly processed foods are generally really, really, really heavy laden with carb uh, calories. Yeah. They're usually very, very dense calorically and then low nutritional value. Quantity of food also matters in terms of your weight and what your body is doing to either store, maintain, or lose excess body fat or muscle. That's what happens with quality and quantity. Those are the things that are some truths out there. Figuring out how the different foods work within your yourself or your routine, how you personally react to food, what your lifestyle can support just your general taste in food as well. It's all very personal. You got to figure that stuff out either with a coach or by yourself. What works for me might not necessarily work for you one for one. Yeah. I mean, nutrition is a very touchy subject, but I think you've laid out some good things that people could think about, right? Quality and quantity is hard to argue those. Um, I wanted to rapid fire a few things from Ramsey. Uh, these are kind of more for me focused. Um, cool. Do you miss the good times back in 2014 with uh, Froning Bridges? Yeah, of course. Those are great times, you know? 2013, 2014 CrossFit Games. Those were incredible years for me. Uh, getting back on the podium was a really big deal. Trained really hard for a long time to get there. And so when I did get back on the podium, it was a really meaningful experience for me. Um, so yes, I do miss those times, but I also have had to come to the conclusion. This is probably something that a lot of people go through, whether it's MDV, uh, you know, finishing law school, having great times there. You kind of look back and you kind of almost can look at it like glory days. But at the same time, the way life is, whether I'm competing in CrossFit or where I'm at today, life evolves, life grows, and that's okay. And if I try and look back and say, oh, those were incredible times. Yes, they were, but so are these. These are incredible times today. And I'm probably going to look back 10 years from now uh, or 10 years future and say, wow, those were incredible times then. They're just, they're not better. They're not worse. They're just different. And I think that when I look at my competitive career, I'm eternally grateful for my competitors, for the CrossFit Games. I had incredible experiences, but I'm having incredible experiences today as well. They're just different. You know, I have yeah. kids, I have family, you know what I mean? I, yeah. Don't, it's okay to reminisce and look back and be nostalgic and think about the good times and remember and, you know, be fond of those times. But I think it's a little bit sketchy sometimes to get too drunk on the past, to always be living in the past or always be living in the glory days or looking back on the past with rose colored glasses, right? The tendency for people is to look back on the past and forget that there probably were harder times. There was stuff that you were suffering through. And you look back and you just remember, it's like kind of thinking about if you had an ex-girlfriend or whatever, and you kind of look back and you're missing your ex-girlfriend. You're probably thinking of just all the really great times and all the good stuff that happened, but maybe you're forgetting the things that were going on that didn't make the relationship work out, right? So yeah. Look back on the good stuff, but also remember there were some challenging times. Reflect on those. Remember that you grew from those, but then 
be thankful and be present. It's funny how like time, you know, they say time heals, right? It does. But sometimes you forget. Like, so for example, 13, 14, incredible experiences, being back on the podium with my kids. Awesome. Right. That's what I remember. But what I don't remember is all the, the, uh, challenges that I had with my wife about the time I spent away, the time I was training, the, oh, yeah. the unpresence that I was having because I was constantly trying to put myself in a mindset of winning. Um, you don't, for, you don't remember those, right? You just remember kind of like a highlight reel. Um, so I think that's something to take into consideration. Then um, the last, last thing from Ramsey is, would you consider competing in a group like, uh, like my boy, Rich? Um, I did go team at the CrossFit Games one time. It was a cool experience. Learned a lot from it. Um, I do not see myself going back and competing on a team. I wouldn't say never, you know, never say never, but never say never, never say never. I just don't see it as a priority in my life right now. Um, I started competing at the CrossFit Games because I loved it. I loved training. I loved getting after it. I loved seeing how I compared to other people. I still do today, but I didn't get into it for fame, fortune, money, whatever. And so if I went back, I'd have to go back with this intent that is doing it for me and not because I thought it would be good for brand building, this and that, because the pain and the suffering you have to go through to be a champion, to win, is so severe that you have to have something strong to fall back on. And so if I found that, that base, if I found that strength because of, I was inspired by it, hell yeah, I'd go do it. But if I didn't, um, then I know I'm not going to be successful if I'm doing it for other reasons other than my own. You also don't seem like the kind of guy that does anything halfway, right? Like when you were competing for the games, I mean, I knew you at that time, like that was pretty much your sole focus aside from your family. And you, you have already talked about, and you've been very open about, there were things that were suffering a little bit on the family side, in particular with like making sacrifices to always be training and always be thinking about winning the CrossFit games. Same when I saw you getting ready for the legends event a few years back, it was like, I think you transported back in time a little bit, like you went into this all in or all out type of mindset. And some people are, can do that. Some people can balance the two where it's like, oh, I can still compete and I'm okay if I don't do as well as I could. But I'm just from observing you, it doesn't seem like, oh, going out and competing for the CrossFit Games just for the hell of it would be necessarily something that you'd really want to do it more. So it's like, Hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I want to win. I want to, I don't want to have any regrets looking back on my training. Yeah. I want to be competitive. I want to put myself in position to win. So, uh, yeah, I don't see that happening, but in that particular case, never say never. Now as an individual, um, that is a, that is a never, um, as an individual, um, that was an agreement that I made with my wife. So that one is a never, but as a team, who knows, right? Highly unlikely, but you never know. Um, let me, let me ask you just a a super con, let me ask you a super controversial question. Oh boy. Let's pretend that all of those different limitations are, are off the table right now. And you had from now until the CrossFit games to get ready for it as an individual competitor. And you call up Matt Frazier, you call up Rich Froning and they're both like, we're in two. And you guys all make it there to the show. <laughs> You guys have all made it there as individuals to the show. Where do you think the cards would fall in terms of uh, who would be standing on top of the podium? Ooh. If it was just us three, you mean? No, you could put other people in there. Oh. I mean, I, I think that you guys would probably be somewhere in the top 10, all three of you. I think Matt, I kind of think Matt would obviously be first or second. Rich would be up there too. I think you got a shot if you commit to it. Oh, I don't know. Um, Dude, that's a good question. I think that right now, I mean, dude, Froning's in incredible shape, right? I mean, he's yeah, he's he still training is. and he's been training and he has that, like that kind of like that, that legendary kind of like mindset because he's been doing it for so long. I mean, dude, the guy's been competing in CrossFit every single year for the last, what, 13 years? You know? Oh, gosh. It was, what was his first 2000, games? 2010. 2010. Yeah. But you think, I mean, individual and then team. And then you have Frazier, who's obviously just incredible, 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 but his training has probably fallen off in terms of like the CrossFit Games training. It's more about strength training for him right now, it seems like, and doing things that he wants to do. Um, he could get it back. I think he can get it back too. I would say that I think those guys would have a better shot at, at this. Ah, man. I, that, that's a terribly difficult question to answer. I know. It's almost an impossible question. It's almost an impossible answer because I know Matt Frazier. He said – 
no amount of money would get him to go back and compete unless it was like a gazillion dollars for charity. He would go back. That's what he said. Um, because he's just not in that mindset anymore. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, I, I think that Rich Froning, here, here is something controversial I would say. Ooh. I think that Rich Froning, if he had competed at the games, would have been on the podium. Uh, it, this, it, this past year as an individual? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think he would have been Tough on the podium. to argue with that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it, I don't know if it's even that, that controversial. I would just say that I think he's in good enough shape that he would still be on the podium today. Um, yeah, I think it's tough to argue if all three of you committed to – the type of training that you guys were doing in your prime, even right now, you just for the amount of years that you've been off from that type of volume, you would have the longest road to hoe in terms of your max numbers, <laughs> getting your max snatch back up there, your max clean and jerk. I think your conditioning would come back in a heartbeat, but um, I, I don't dude. This is the one uh, I'm not a huge fan of competitive fitness. Like I'm, I've seen enough of it and I'm sure you have to last a lifetime. You've probably seen 10 times more than I have. But the one thing that I wish we saw, the one thing I wish we saw Rich and Matt both in their prime, the year that Matt and Rich, when Rich beat Matt on, on the podium, that was Matt's first year, right? It was Matt's first year at the games and he that came in first year second, right? Yep. He really wasn't fully hitting his stride yet in terms of like the big stage. If they, if, because Rich retired from individual competition after that year, right? That was That's the last right. year. If that next year they both came back with a full training year underneath their belts and went head to head for it, oh, dude, that that would have been something to watch. Dude, I think that I a hundred percent agree with you. It's just one of those things like you'll never know, right? Never know. Uh, we'll never you'll, ever know. You'll never know because they they both kind of pivoted and done their own things. But it was very interesting timing. Very interesting timing. Um. Yeah, and then you had Ben Smith jump in there and get in a win, right? Like he, so Ben Smith took a win the next year. And yeah, Matt took second, and then Matt won the next five years. So from across the games perspective, it's an interesting history right there, where you had Rich four years, then um, then Matt comes in and takes second, second, and then boom, takes off. Yeah, Ben is kind. Of, you know, I I really like Ben. Ben is probably one of the nicest guys in the entire sport. Heart of gold. He kind of gets forgotten in the mix, though, of people who, um, you know, even, both won the CrossFit Games. Like, it's very sometimes hard to remember because it was Froning and Frazier for so long. Um, but Ben gets lost in the mix. And also Scott Panchek gets lost in the mix. I think Scott probably, arguably, is the second or uh, third or fourth most consistent person. Dude, uh, so it's ever. funny because I did a podcast with Savon. We talked about the top 10 CrossFitters ever. And dude, you got Panchek who has like, I want to say it's like five third place, like six times. Yeah. Yeah, he's, got, he's gotten fourth place like six times. Yeah. And then you have Ben Smith, who's been on the podium multiple times. I mean, he's all incredible. over the place. It, it's just, it's really, um, I, but for the people who know, they know like Scott Panchik, he's, he's put in his dues, um, for not being on, he's like the most decorated person to never be on the podium by, by far. He never, he never got third place. Uh, -uh. Oh, wow. 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 So close so many times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't argue, you, you can't take anything away from his accomplishments of being that consistent because it, the amount of training, the amount of conviction that it takes to come back every single year yeah. and grind to get yeah. to fourth place is crazy. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll tell you right now what he, uh, I'm, I'm looking it up. I, I'm, I'm, hundred percent sure um let's see okay in the regionals da -da -da, games all right so <laughs> dude check this out <laughs> he's such a nice guy too okay 2012 fourth fourth fifth sixth 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 eleventh fourth eleventh unbelievable that's pretty damn good to unbelievable be in the top close to the top 10, top 15, that many fourth and sixth places, that many years in a row. Nine years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty hey, damn good. Shout out, shout out to Scott Panchek. Um, well, dude, we got in a few yep. good questions. Talked about some macros, talked about some other stuff. Um, more to come. Uh, any, uh, any closing remarks here? No, I hope everybody has flex. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hope everybody has a fantastic holiday. We're getting close here. 
you know, the one thing to remember, uh, you know, you see a lot of people out there talking about, you know, enjoying the holidays, making sure you're eating the things that you want to eat. Yes, of course, eat the things that you want to eat. Have those be the quote unquote outlier days here or there. Don't let it bleed into from Thanksgiving to New Year's uh, Day, just a month and a half of just complete recklessness and nonsense and, uh, you know, a time period in which, yes, you should enjoy it, be responsible, have the things you want to have, but also don't forget your good habits that have gotten you to this point, still exercise, still get after it, still drink water, still get outside, take a walk, do what you need to do, but uh, enjoy the holidays, everybody. Yeah. Enjoy the holidays. One thing that I've been doing with my daughter, I just want to recommend it to everybody. We put in a small TV in our garage. We put on Disney Plus and we've been watching Gordon Ramsay shows in the morning, cooking show, and we walk for 20 minutes. It has been really easy. Uh, if you have a piece of cardio, if you have a TV for some reason when she's watching it, doesn't even think about it as exercise or movement, but it's a great way to get in some movement before school starts. That's point A. Point B, Go check out the NC Fit app if you're an if you're an athlete in the garage or in the gym. And if you're a gym owner listening and you have not checked out the NC Fit Collective, you are missing out. Make sure to go do that. MDV, as always, have a great day, brother. And I'll talk to you soon. See you, Jake.